Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I don't know where you are, but I am in Minnesota, and it's just a tad chilly here. So we're fighting the below zero stuff once again, but spring is almost here, so I just uh, I just keep hoping for the warm-up here. <clears throat> um, today we're going to have an, an, really, I think, a fantastic show for you, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. But before I get started... We always have new listeners, and I like to share with people who Alzheimer's Speaks is and what the heck we do and, and why we think it's important. So bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company that provides multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, we can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and we can help people live a good, purposeful, fulfilled life with this disease. And together, when we're doing that, we can help everyone understand the true needs of the disease. We can remove those nasty myths and the isolation that create so much fear. At our core, Alzheimer's speaks that collaboratively, again, we can win this battle. And we know we're making a difference because we were honored with uh, being the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz, which is just a huge, huge feat. And I have to thank all of our listeners and all of our followers on our Twitter pages and our Facebook and our dementia chats, our radio, our blog, um, the the website itself with the resource directory and so much more. Um, it's because of all of you sharing knowledge with your you know sphere of influences, your friends, your circles um, that has made the difference. So I really I can't thank you all enough. And and if you haven't yet liked us. Um, no, I would love you to follow Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'd love you to go to our Facebook page and follow us there as well. I did put the link in the chat box there for you. Um, I also want to, you know, invite our audience to participate in the conversation um, because, again, that's how we gain knowledge. That's how we we test our theories um, and find out, you know, what's really going on? What do people think? So you can do that in a couple of fashions. You can utilize the chat box here and just type in a response, or you can call in live to the show, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that is 714 714- 
364-4757. And um, I will try to get to your, your call or your comment as soon as possible as we have breaks in the conversation. I also like to just give some shout-outs to some organizations that I, um, you know, I just really, really like. Alzheimer's Disease International, and a lot of these organizations, people don't know them as well as they should. So Alzheimer's Disease International is actually the association of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So if you're looking for an Alzheimer's association, because they do provide great information and and platforms of their own, go to um, Alzheimer's Disease International and you'll find the one closest to you. Along with that, you're going to find global information and other resources as well. Um, There is also the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, which has been around for 20 years, and they come at this disease with a holistic approach. And wonderful organization. And if you just go to alzheimersprevention.org, you will find them. And then there are so many different types of dementia. I'm just going to name a few of the major organizations. The Lewy Body Association, the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration, the National Aphasia Association are all important um, organizations with specifics um, for that particular diagnosis. So I encourage you to support them, um, you know, like them, check out their websites and see what they have to offer. And then there's the Alzheimer's Studies, which is doing a clinical trial regarding tau. And they're actually going to be with us today on the show. We've got one of their primary investigators, so I'm very excited about that. And then um, Coral Health, I'm I'm a big believer in um, the power of the arts and music. And Music First with Coral Health is just a a fabulous way to change behaviors from helping us um, go to sleep, help us wake up, help us eat, um, you know, distract us, um, all different types of things. And they have an app that you can actually put on your phone, which can be extremely handy. Um, There is Puzzles with Me, which has designed a puzzle with bigger pieces, um, more age-appropriate, and fewer pieces, so it's easier to work with. Um, And then Jiminy Wicket, which I just absolutely adore, is an intergenerational croquet game um, that can be used by family and friends or it can be used with organizations um, to educate and engage people with dementia. So just go ahead and check out those. And then I want to give a shout-out just to my web designer, Custom A Design. I just I, I don't know what I would do without them at all. They, they have just saved my life um, a million times um, over, and, uh, and I just I owe them big time. So uh, with no further ado, let's go ahead and jump in and talk with our, with our first guest here. <clears throat> 
we have Dr. Christopher Poletto with us, and he has worked for over 25 years in academia, in government, and industry as a biomedical engineer and neuroscientist, um, um, <clears throat> starting with a double major in electrical and mechanical engineering from Rice University and a master's and PhD in biomedical engineering from Case Western um, Reserve University. He served as a staff scientist at the National Institute for Neurological Disease and Stroke, where he conducted research on speech production and perception. And most recently, he led the, the neuro, um, let's see, neuropro, I'm not going to be able to say this, neuroprosthetics research program at Medtronic. Um, and uh, Medtronic's a big company here in, in Minnesota. Um, and known all over the world, but uh, one of our hometowns here. And he has produced a numerous um, peer reviews for scientific publications and dozens of patent applications. And last year, um, he took a big, big step, and Dr. Paletto opened a new hearing clinic here in Roseville, Minnesota, which actually Roseville is my old hometown where I grew up. And it was the first to bring the Zounds hearing aids to the Midwest. And so uh, it's just a pleasure to have Christopher, uh, Dr. Paletto, with us. So, um, Dr. Paletto, welcome. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here. Um, for uh, I want to give a little bit of background. I have really always felt that you know, especially with dementia, it's so critical to use all of our senses when we are engaged, um, you know, with people. And hearing is such a critical piece. And I think many times it's overlooked. And as we age, you know, I'm going to be 55 here in June. And I know I've noticed um, changes in my hearing. It's not it's not what it once used to be. And so I actually um, went to the Zounds Clinic and had my hearing tested because I wanted to, to see for myself what the process was and um, also, you know, see if I had, had a deficit in terms of my hearing. And so it was really a, an extremely interesting process, um, you know, for me to go as as just kind of this layperson to to see what's going on because there's such a fear with hearing loss. It, it's kind of like dementia. There's such a stigma. And, um, anyways, that's my perception of it. Do you do you feel there's a stigma with hearing loss as well, Dr. Paletto? Oh yes. Uh, and this is something that we really have to work to alleviate. Um, you know, it's one of the biggest three uh, most prevalent chronic medical conditions among older adults, along with arthritis and hypertension. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's not really much of a much of a stigma surrounding uh, arthritis or hypertension, but there is with hearing loss, and it's because I think uh, it makes people feel old. Uh, I guess. You know, arthritis does too, but um, nobody seems to be uh, afraid to talk about their arthritis. They they just don't want to talk about their hearing loss. It's uh, I think it's because it's more disabling to not be able to communicate than you know not to to, to lose your your fine manual dexterity, even though that's frustrating. Um, so being not able to communicate well 
uh, is so frustrating and and shaming, really. It's it's embarrassing to always have to ask what and ask people to re- repeat themselves. And uh, so people are very often in denial that that they have a hearing loss, and usually this lasts uh, it lasts for an average of seven years. Uh, the, from the time that the people know they have a hearing loss to the time they really admit that they they need help and they and they actually uh, pursue getting a hearing aid. That's that's incredible. Seven years. Um, that's that's a long long time. Now I just see that we do have um, Harry Urban on the the. Um, line with us and I'd like to pull him into the conversation if you don't mind because Harry has dementia and he has hearing loss and I my guess is he probably has some comments on this stigma that might be beneficial. Harry do you mind if I pull you in? No absolutely I'm here. Okay what 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 is your thought about the stigma um, with hearing loss? Do you feel that there is one? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely uh, there is now in my in my case, I was diagnosed with a with a major hearing loss oh some years ago, and um, it went as far as I had to have MRI to rule out any tumors or anything like that. But um, it was decided then that the best course of action for me was a behind the ear digital hearing aid. Now it worked out fine. But uh, I spend a lot of time outdoors, and I sweat a lot. And I had constant problems with the hearing aid getting damp, getting wet. Uh, I got one of those uh, little ovens that, that you put your hearing aid in overnight to, uh, to take the humidity out of, but I always had problems with it. So um, it was recommended, well, if you're outside working in the yard or whatever, maybe you don't want to put your hearing aid in because of sweating so much in the heat. And I started doing that, but I got out of the habit of wearing them. Now, I know I know that it's beneficial for me to use them, but um, just the problems I have with that, with them, with them getting wet, and then uh, uh, I always have to have them repaired, it, it, it was just a nuisance to me, so sorry to say I stopped wearing them. Okay, well that's that's good to know, Harry. I'm going to put you on mute, and I'm going to go back to back to Christopher because one of the things that we want to talk about um, with Christopher is um, the new technology um, that is behind the the Zounds um, hearing aid and. Um, you know, Christopher, I'm going to let you go with with where you think we should go next here. I, you know, I was amazed at how teeny tiny they were, and in just the process that you go through um, as a as a patient, you know, um, going in. So um, I'll let you kind of take the lead on where you think would be the next fit here. Okay. Well, I I just like to say that uh, Harry's situation is not all that unusual, and. Uh, you know, it may be because of sweating. It may be because people are frustrated with uh, background noise or with always having to change their batteries or, you know, a number of things that really cause frustration, excuse me, frustrations with wearing hearing aids. But unfortunately, those hearing aids often end up in a drawer somewhere where they're not doing anybody any good. And uh, we know that 
you need to wear your hearing aids at least six hours a day to keep your brain activated so that it continues to be able to process the sounds that you don't hear without the hearing aids. And it's just like other things in your body. If you don't use it, you lose it. And so if you're not hearing certain sounds, the difference between take and cake, for instance, uh, there are certain consonants that are having higher frequencies, that have higher frequency contents, and that's usually the higher frequency content is what's lost in age-related hearing loss. And so people lose the ability to distinguish between those consonants if they don't hear them regularly. Now, the good news is if you start hearing them regularly, you can rebuild the ability to distinguish between them. But it takes a while, and it takes constant use or or nearly constant use of your hearing aids, at least six hours a day. And so I would encourage Harry to get his hearing aids back out of the drawer and to try using them, maybe not when he's sweating so much, but but in circumstances where he's hearing speech especially. Um, Now, there is one solution that you may not have tried, Harry, and that is to put a sleeve on the hearing aid. They sell little sleeves uh, that go right over there and protect them from moisture. And it just slips over like a sock. And uh, we've had good luck with that in our patients who have uh, perspiration problems. Now, our our hearing aids, uh, this is not one of our top features, but I would say we attack this problem of, of perspiration by not having doors for batteries so that the, 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 the uh, hearing aid itself is sealed and there's no good way for perspiration to get into the, the hearing aid. Um, and uh, so we don't have as much problems for, with, uh, with perspiration as, as other hearing aid manufacturers do. Um, would you like me to talk about the things that I, I feel really do set sounds apart? Oh, I, w- I would love to because I, like I said, okay. I was just shocked at what I normally thought a hearing aid looked at. I mean, this sounds really naive on my part, and I know I knew that they had gotten smaller, but I was, I was, I was just in shock with what I saw, and, and in a very good way, um, on <laughs> on how much things have changed. It, it kind of reminded me of how people have in their mind what a nursing home looks like. You know, it's dark, it's stringy, it smells like urine. But if they would go to most nursing homes, that's not the feel they're going to get. Um, but that's what stuck in my mind was kind of this big clunky um, thing that squeals and um, that people get frustrated with both who wear it and those around them, you know, when it squeals and stuff. And so I was, I was really, really surprised, and I think, it would, I think it would be very informative for our audience. Okay. Well, uh, there, you mentioned some of the things that frustrate people about wearing hearing aids. And the very top one, there was a, a marketing study done by an independent marketing firm that identified the, the top ten problems with their – uh, hearing aid wearers express. And the biggest one that 95% of people expressed was that they hear background noise amplified just as much as the speech. And as we get older, it's harder to pull speech out of background noise. And so this is really frustrating that, that they get into a noisy environment and now their hearing aid is amplifying all that noise and just making their problem worse. And so uh, Zound solved that by actually uh, developing uh, 57 patented innovations for pulling speech out of noise. And uh, 
we now have the best noise cancellation, actually the only noise cancellation uh, technology in the hearing aid industry. And there's a subtle difference between noise cancellation and noise reduction. It's very similar to how the Bose noise cancellation headphones work, you know, that you wear when you're in a noisy environment and you don't want to hear anything. And they take the signal that's coming in, they flip it around and add it back in so that it cancels out the sound that's coming in. We do the same thing with the background noise. And so we actually amplify the speech and cancel out the background noise. And this is, this is huge for improving the clarity of the sound uh, for speech and uh, for making it much easier to understand what's said so that resources can be used to remember. Well, makes it easier to perceive what's said, which makes it easier to understand and also uh, to remember what is said. So uh, that's the, the first thing. The second thing is the batteries. Uh, people, as I said, arthritis is one of the top uh, conditions plaguing older Americans as well, and or older people. Uh, and that makes it difficult to change these little tiny batteries, and the battery doors are often uh, uh, fragile and break easily, and they're um, an avenue for moisture to get in, like Harry was talking about. And so uh, we've done away with that. We have rechargeable batteries, and other, other hearing aid companies offer rechargeability, but none of them offer the longevity that we do. The, uh, we're the first ones to have an all-day hearing aid. It lasts at least 16 hours after an overnight charge, and so it goes all day, and you don't have to worry about changing batteries ever. You just stick the hearing aid back in its little charger overnight, and it charges, and then it's ready for all day the next day. And so there's no more fiddling with little batteries. And it, those rechargeable batteries are designed to last uh, at least a year, usually two years, and we will replace them for the life of the hearing aid for free. So no more fiddling with batteries at all. Um, the other thing is when you lose manual dexterity, you lose the ability to to fiddle with the little tiny switches that control volume and so forth on the hearing aids, on most hearing aids. And so we provide a remote. And that remote is just like a little TV remote and allows people to change the treble and the bass and the volume on each hearing aid independently. So if they have a loud talker on one side and a quiet talker on the other, they can turn up one side and turn down the other. Um, and it's really convenient to do that. We also offer four modes, and uh, that's different levels of, of, of noise cancellation, essentially. Uh, there's one mode that's quiet where you don't want to hear anything, there, and that's like when you're out mowing the lawn or something like that. You don't want to hear all that noise. Um, then there's uh, dining mode, which is the default mode, and there we're trying to pull speech out of noise. There's party mode where it's kind of like dining mode on steroids, where it really focuses on just the person in front of you. Everything else behind you is canceled out. And then uh, there's music mode where everything is heard. So you want to hear all of the high notes, all the low notes, and speech and noise and everything because you're in a concert and you're trying to listen to music. So uh, all those modes are available from the remotes. Um, the squeal that you talked about, it is so annoying for people, especially if they try to use the telephone 
or if they go to hug somebody, anything that gets near the ear will cause this squeal in most hearing aids. We have virtually eliminated the squeal. Uh, again, we use the noise cancellation technology to, to cancel out the squeal, and so it's almost completely eliminated. Uh, so people can use the telephone as normal. They can go and hug people as normal, uh, and uh, they don't have to worry about annoying the whole room with their squealing. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> as you said, it is quite annoying. Um, so, well, and, I think people and then the other thing is privacy. Embarrassing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, very embarrassing. And sometimes they can't even hear it. Mm-hmm. And I I know that, uh, you know, we, we have people come in wearing their existing hearing aids and they're squealing all over the place and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it must be pretty embarrassing when you discover that you've been squealing and annoying everybody around you. Yeah. Well, and... Um you know, why don't you go ahead and, and go into price? Because I think I think price is is really important. Because you know, this is not something that's cheap, but I mean, it is something that we we need. Um, you know, we need our hearing. And I'm I'm of that age. You know, where I'm starting to get arthritis and stuff now. And and you know, I'm noticing. You know, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. My hearing's not <laughs> as good as they used to be. But the more we can do. Um, to, to maintain all of our senses, you know, is is so so important. I know Harry a lot of times will say when we do our webinars that he's very conscious about reading lips, um, you know, and that we all read lips more than we think that we do. Um, but I'm going to let you go ahead and go into pricing, and then I kind of want to talk about the process because I think that is unnerving for people of what's going to happen. If I do go in, what's going to happen to me there? Um, but why don't you go over pricing because I was very surprised at that as well. Well, the founder of Zounds, Sam Thomason, had a vision when he did this. He developed these hearing aids for his daughter who had a hearing loss, and that's how Zounds came to be. Uh, Kate had a hearing loss from a young age, and she had tried all kinds of different hearing aids, and, and they didn't work well for her. And they had all these problems that we had talked about, and so he set out to solve all these problems for his daughter. And then once he had done this, uh, and by the way, he was a Medtronic engineer at the time he was doing this as well, uh, down in Tempe. So uh, he, uh, once he had developed this for his daughter, he sold the, the speech and the, pulling the speech out of noise patents to the telecommunications industry. And uh, so now every uh, cellular phone, like from Nokia, from Motorola, from Siemens, all of those uh, use his technology. So do all of the voice command uh, GPS units and all those. So that's how he made his money. He doesn't need to make money from the hearing aids. And he, so his vision was to get the technology that he developed for his daughter out into the hands of everybody who needs it. And so he developed this con- company, and it has a different business model than most uh, uh, hearing aid companies. We sell directly from the factory. There's no middleman. Uh, I, I own a Zounds franchise. That's how they've, they've decided to, to grow it quickly, you know, to get as many stores out there or clinics as possible. Um, and so I buy directly from the from the factory and then uh, sell it, you know, to the to the consumer directly. 
most hearing aid companies they they have a middleman the the corporate store buys it from the manufacturer and then uh they sell it to the the franchise and then you know so it it adds an extra layer and every time you add an air a layer you mark up the price approximately twofold so our hearing aids cost on average about one quarter to one half depending on the special that's being run um, of the comparable hearing aids, the other premium hearing aids in the market. And when I say comparable, I don't really believe that there are any comparable hearing aids. I believe that ours are the best, but there are some very good ones out there. Uh, and so if you look at the, the Phonax or the Starkeys or the Otacons, uh, you know, those are good hearing aids, and they all perform well in quiet. Uh, and so... Uh, those are the ones that we compare to. Those typically cost six to $8,000 for a pair, and we are typically running at less than half that. Okay. So, and that, that's and so, some of ours are a quarter of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's a significant yeah. difference. You know, the the other thing that I really liked when I went in was, and I was astounded, A, at how small they had gotten, and you had talked about, well, that they could get smaller, but then people aren't really even going to be able to handle them because they're too small. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you can you can barely even see that they're in the ear. And the other thing that I like, because now, you know, my fingers are getting more stiff, you know, with arthritis and things like that, um, I really appreciate um, someone trying to change a battery out where the other day I had a hard time maneuvering my patio door open in the, in the really cold weather. It was like, what happened? I just lost all my strength. It was like, you know, it was just very strange. But yours, you just kind of drop into this tray. I mean... Yes, it, you, the the uh, the charger just sits on your nightstand, and or, you know, that's where we recommend that you put it is in the nightstand. Uh, the best thing is not to put it in the bathroom, as some people might be tempted to, because there's just a lot of moisture in there after a shower and so forth. But um, you uh, you put it in the in the on the nightstand, and then when you go to bed, you just take your hearing aids out and and plop them in this little charger, and uh, the lights come on, telling you that you have made good contact in the charger. So there's no question as to whether you got it in there or not. And after uh, six hours, they're fully charged. Wow, that so. was uh, that was just amazing to me too. The um, the other thing was the process um, very much surprised me in terms of of what you go through and and how you test hearing. And can you can you explain a little bit about that? And then I'll throw in my two cents worth. Sure. When a patient comes in, uh, we have a little bit of paperwork to fill out, just like any other medical office. And then we take them back to the exam room. And the exam room is uh, a room that I actually spent, uh, you know, you can't tell by looking at it, but I spent an extra $20,000 making it a soundproof uh, testing room. And instead of using these kind of testing boxes that some people use that are very claustrophobic, we have our whole big room uh, soundproofed. And so we think that's a much more comfortable environment for the, for the patient. And uh, so the, the patient and the tester are, are in this room, and often the, the patient has, has brought with them a third party, a spouse or a child, uh, to help them with the decision making and, and give them feedback on what their uh, what their issues really are, 
and we really encourage that. And so it's a very friendly environment. Uh, the the examiner then goes through, explains what's going to happen, and then does uh, what we call pure tone auditory testing. Everybody gets that. So we we produce what's called an audiogram, and that is a map of what the hearing loss is, so how well they're hearing at each different frequency. And the ear is is kind of like a harp. It has lots of little hair cells in it, and each one of these, uh, each little region of hair cells responds to a different frequency, like a different string on a harp. And what happens as we age, those hair cells uh, degrade, they, they go away, and we lose certain frequencies. Usually the higher frequencies go first. And uh, so we can tell exactly, using these pure tone testings, we can tell exactly which frequencies are intact and which ones are impaired and by how much. And then we test uh, speech perception. And uh, what we're looking for is we know now what tones you can hear, but we want to know how it has affected your ability to understand uh, single words. And so we give a, a list of words and, and uh, see how many of those you get correct. And uh, there are other things, too, like bone conduction. We're looking to see what the cause of the hearing loss is, uh, whether it's in the the middle ear or in the inner ear or possibly in the brain. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it's a fairly involved exam. It's not exactly the same for everybody because we tailor it to the needs of the patient. There are some things that are dictated by the state that uh, everybody gets. And um, it's the, the process takes an hour, an hour and a half. We're very thorough. There's no charge for the exam. And then if people uh, need a hearing aid, if there's, if there's a technology we believe that would help them that we offer, then they can try it out right there. And uh, we can fit them with a hearing aid. There's no waiting. Most places you have to wait two weeks to get a mold made of your ear. We actually have a patented foam technology that doesn't require any ear modes that automatically uh, uh, adapts to the ear canal, and we have many sizes of those, so we don't have to send out for ear molds. And so we can put the, the hearing aid on the person, let them try it out right there. We have a noisy room with a, with a television and a radio and so forth. We can try it out in a comfortable little living room. And then we can send them down to Byerly's. It's a grocery store that's very active and very noisy, and they can try to see how they can hear in in a noisy environment, which is where you know where our hearing aids really excel. And so uh, they can try it out right then before they make any decisions, and uh, they can try it for as long as they like. Typically, an hour you know is is enough to fully convince a person that oh yeah, these are you know, the best thing since sliced bread, so. 
Well, I found it really interesting too when you know when I was meeting with Kevin, who was um, the the tester for me and the technician, in terms of um, how you can amplify sounds and how you can you know um, muffle or you know get rid of the sound altogether. And it, to me, it was fascinating that you could have things you know like if you were at a play. Can you explain how how your system works? Um, in a little bit more detail, so if, if they're in a big environment versus kind of that one-on-one um, with your with yes. your microphone systems. Yep, the the microphone systems that we have. One reason that we use a behind-the-ear system instead of an in-the-ear system is, uh, you know, uh, there there are some some hearing aid manufacturers offer a completely in the canal so that it's almost invisible. And some people find that a, an attractive option. It's okay if you have a mild hearing loss uh, and uh, you don't really need the directionality and you don't have any problems with hearing and noise. Those are okay. We used to offer that. We've, we've since discontinued it because it really doesn't work well because it doesn't allow directional microphones. And so where we really excel is in the directional microphones that allow you to pull out the things that are in front of you and ignore the things behind you and uh, to really uh, uh, hone in on what is noise and what is speech. And you just can't do that in, a, in, a, in, in the canal hearing aid. Uh, ours are almost invisible because they fit behind the ear as you mentioned, they could be a little bit smaller given the technology, but we feel that uh, you know the human factors people have have said that making it any smaller would not be good because uh, people need to be able to handle it easily and so forth, and it would flop around in the space behind the ear. So it's actually at its optimal size now. It used to be the size was limited by the by the uh, electronic size. That's not really the case anymore. Now we're allowed to just make it the best size and, and leave it that way. Um, and then there's a little tiny wire that goes into the ear, and the actual speaker is inside the ear. And uh, that is what allows us to uh, have such good noise reduction and good squealing reduction and, and that sort of thing. Um, when you're in a play, you probably want to hear everything that's going on around you, so you put it in music mode. If you're in uh, a situation where there are people talking all around you and you're having trouble listening to the one conversation that you want to hear, then you put it in party mode. And that's the most aggressive noise cancellation, and it really focuses on just the person in front of you. And uh, so that's very valuable for for that situation. And that, that's something that I don't think any other manufacturer offers. But you okay. couldn't do it except with a behind-the-ear uh, technology. Okay. I'm going to pull Harry in. Just because Harry has hearing loss and he has dementia, I think I, my, my guess is he's got comments. Um, Harry, am I, am, is my intuition leading me right? Do you have comments? Oh yeah, I I had I had more questions than comments, and uh, okay. my questions concern me. Uh, now, my hearing aids are the ones behind the ear, and they have three different modes in them. That there's a little button on the on the uh, on the hearing aid, 
And one of the one of the modes is for when you speak on a telephone. Now, most people with with hearing aids and telephones have problems with the squirrel and stuff like that. And this this one mode um, is supposed to cancel or cancel cancel out that that squirrel. But uh, to be honest with you, I didn't see any difference. But it's all it's all programmable. So if um, if my hearing aids if my hearing loss increases, uh, they can adjust that that uh, that program that gets downloaded into the hearing aid to adjust for it. Uh, and I was wondering if if your hearing aids have the same thing, especially with telephones, because everybody everybody lives by a telephone. But but uh, you have a choice of of listening to the squirrel and take your hearing aid out to use the phone. And, and my second question is. Uh, now I have I have over six thousand dollars, probably seven thousand dollars tied up in my hearing aids. Is there anything like 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 trade-in value on <laughs> on a new set of hearing aids, or is that a complete loss to me? Well, uh, I'll answer that second one first because it's really easy. Um, that all depends on each individual uh, clinic, and it's it depends in my own clinic it depends on what special we're running uh i do sometimes offer $500 uh rebate for uh for turning in your old hearing aids and to be honest what i do is i uh donate it to the lions club and so i get no value out of that uh the value to me is that it gets the old hearing aids that don't work out of your hands so that you'll be forced to use the new ones that it's like a pair of glasses when you put on a new pair of glasses, they seem really funny at first, right? You you feel a little dizzy for a few days, uh, and it's the same way when you switch hearing aids. You may be more comfortable with your old ones for a little while because your brain is used to hearing them, but the new ones will be better for you. So I'd rather get them out of your hands and uh, so you're not tempted to go back to what's comfortable rather than what's good for you. Um, and now the the first question uh, about talking on the phone. Now, ours automatically switch. We're constantly monitoring the environment, the listening environment, and they automatically uh, sense when something comes close to the ear and they change the amplification so that you don't have to worry about using changing modes to talk on the television, uh, talk on the telephone or anything like that. It just happens automatically. And uh, the squealing we can, especially if you're using the foam inserts, uh, those are, are essentially eliminated. So that's uh, th that's a, one of the the problems that that people had that we that we set out to solve and and did. One other thing then too is um, now with my with my hearing aids. Uh, Frequently, I have to have the tubing that goes from the from the actual device down to the thing that plugs in my ear. I have to have that changed. I don't know once a month, let's say, maybe not mm -hmm. that often, but around that time. And another thing that that bothers me is is people that wear hearing aids uh, seem to have a buildup of wax that gets mm -hmm. in it, and the the plug of the hearing aid. I was constantly have to have to clean, so the maintenance on it to me was a lot. Now, is is it is that 
is that the way it is now, or has that changed? What? Well, what has changed, uh, the tube that you have, you actually have a, a situation where the the thing that produces the sound is, is called a receiver. I think it should be called a speaker. Anyway, we'll call it the speaker because that's what I think it should be called. Um, the, the speaker itself is inside the thing that's behind your ear, and then the sound goes down this tube and into your ear. And that is the older way of doing things. Now what we what we do is we actually have the speaker inside the ear canal. So what we have, instead of a tube going into the ear, is just a fine wire going into the ear. Uh, for one thing, it's less noticeable, uh, and it's more moldable to your ear, and it's because uh, we can heat it up a little bit and, and mold it to, uh, to, to fit exactly what, what is needed for your ear. Uh, and those links uh, can be changed, but they are intended to last at least a year or two, uh, and that is if you know if you're careful in the way that you pull them in and out. The only thing that really goes wrong with them is if people just grab them and jerk to pull them out, then they are really fine wires and they can break. But uh, for the most part, that is not a problem. Or well, I'd say it is not a problem once people have been trained how to take the. Uh, the things out of their ears. So, yes, we we actually have solved that problem in terms of the wax buildup. Uh, that is just always going to be a situation for some people. Uh, we are always producing wax. Some people more than others. If there is an irritating object in the ear, then we'll produce more wax. Now the. Uh, the hearing aids that actually require a mold to go inside the ear, those molds are typically rigid and therefore are more irritating to the ear canal. The ear canal does not have a set, uh, a set shape. Every time you move your jaw, the ear canal changes shape. And so it can, if it's hitting something hard in there, it can get really irritated and it can produce more wax. So what we do is use a soft foam or a silicon dome, depending on what the patient needs, and those tend to produce less irritation and less wax buildup. But you do need to uh, have, you know, we recommend daily care to just use a baby wipe or something and wipe off the tips, uh, you know, to, to clear them of wax. And if they ever do become plugged, you just bring them in and we vacuum them out. I've got a several thousand dollar vacuum that I use uh, that gets it right out. Now, I have a question for you. You know, most of us use Q-tips for our ears, and I've heard over and over again that we shouldn't be doing that. Does that do damage with our hearing? It very well can. Um, it, you know, most of the time it doesn't. But here's the issue. Um, you, Anytime you stick something like that in your ear, you're more likely to just shove the wax further into the ear than you are to, to pull it out. Uh, and the other thing, I, I used to work with an ENT surgeon. Well, I, I worked with several of them. Uh, and uh, he came in one day, and he was really embarrassed because his daughter had been using a Q-tip in her ear. And, you know, he, he, being an ENT, had always told his family, never stick anything in your ear smaller than your elbow. So um, <laughs> she, she put this Q-tip in, and uh, she ended up perforating her eardrum. 
Oh. And oh. so she had to take he you know he had to take her in for emergency surgery, uh, and it was very embarrassing for him given his position. So you know um, accidents do happen. We we sometimes uh, especially if we have any kind of a shake in our hands or anything like that, um, it's just. Q-tips are fairly safe, and you do have about an inch uh, of space before your eardrum from the outside of the ear to your eardrum, and you, you typically wouldn't shove it in that far. But if you do, you can do some serious damage in there. And so that's why we always recommend do not do that. What you do is instead you squirt a solution in. You can make at home a mild vinegar solution and uh, that works very well, or you can go to a Walgreens or something and get uh, what the one that I recommend is called Audiologist Choice. Uh, if, if you can't find it at the Walgreens, come see me, and, and we have plenty of them. Uh, they're about $5 each, and uh, they come with a little ear uh, bulb that you use to, to squirt it in there, and that cleans out the, the wax pretty well. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. Now, there's some studies that have been done with dementia in hearing, I believe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, there have been at least two big studies, uh, both by Lynn at, at uh, uh, Johns Hopkins, and looking at the relationship between hearing loss and dementia. And they looked at both the degree of the hearing loss and the degree of dementia and the time of onset of the hearing loss and the time of onset of the dementia. And they found great correlation between both of those. And so the, uh, the onset of, of hearing loss and the degree both influence or actually are both correlated with the onset and, and degree of dementia. Now, correlation does not mean causation, so we can't infer from that study uh, which direction the causation goes. It could be that dementia causes hearing loss, or it could be the other way around, or it could be that the same thing is causing both. So uh, there are other studies, though, that have used uh, uh, neural imaging, uh, functional imaging, and structural imaging to look at the cause direction. And what they found is that people, even with mild hearing loss, so these are people who came in who reported that they had normal hearing, but they all had different degrees of hearing loss. And there was enough variety there that they could actually look at uh, the, the way that people processed speech and processed sound, and they could look at the structure of the brain. And what they found was that people who have even a mild hearing loss, uh, they're, they're using more resources to try to perceive the sounds, and there are fewer resources left to remember what was said or to understand what was said. We have limited brain resources, and, and they can be allocated in different ways. If you have to use all your effort in just under, in, in just perceiving the sounds, just hearing what was said, then you have left, less resources left over to, uh, to actually be able to understand the meaning of the words and also to remember what was said. And so that was actually 
a significant result. And the other one was that people who have hearing loss actually have less gray matter in the parts of their brain that process sound and speech. And this is really significant because the gray matter is kind of the computational area. And if you have less of it, then you know you have fewer resources to start out with. Uh, and so these together all imply that the direction is that the hearing loss is causing the dementia. Um, and so the other thing that it does is it causes apparent dementia. So even in somebody who doesn't have any dementia, if they're having trouble uh, spe hearing speech, it will sound or it will seem like to another, you know, to whoever they're, they're interacting with, that they have some mild dementia because they're asking what a lot. Maybe they respond inappropriately. Um, there are some really funny examples of people who heard things incorrectly and, and made an inappropriate response. Um, and, uh, you know, to another person, they may not realize that they didn't hear it correctly. They may just think they processed it wrong and, you know, came up with a, a non sequitur uh, response. So that seems like dementia. And so that's something we all have to be aware of, especially as caregivers, um, that what may look like dementia it may actually be a, a problem in hearing. Uh, and then if it goes long enough, the problem in hearing will cause uh, dementia because it's a vicious circle that people who can't hear well will be isolated socially. The social isolation will cause them to not be able to process speech as much, which will increase their deficit and therefore lead to more isolation. And we know that more isolation leads to depression and leads to dementia. And so, uh, you know, there are many ways here that the, that the links can be made. It is really interesting, um, you know, because of that whole withdrawal and that isolation and, you know, just a phrase, you know, that people use, um, use it or lose it type thing. And in, when people do have hearing loss, they do pull back. And, you know, they're not as active because, they, they, you know, I see that all the time. They don't want to make a mistake and, um, you know, it's it, it's something. And, and I want to really point out, too, that, you know, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show was because was I, I was just, and Harry even said he can't wait to, to do some more research because he can't believe all the changes that have, have occurred in the technology. And he wants to look into getting his replaced. But um, this is a, you know, I didn't, I didn't have you on the show just to talk about the person with dementia because a lot of times it's the person who's caring for the person with dementia that needs the hearing mm -hmm. aid, that has the hearing loss. And that is a critical step that we have to deal with because um, we've got to be on our toes, you know, to be able to, um, you know, keep up with the person with dementia, um, what their needs are and what's going on. And so, you know, we have to look at this, you know, in a whole fashion, that it's not always just good for the other guy, um, but that it's good for all of us as a whole. This is good, healthy living. Um, this is this is smart technology um, that can make us all live <clears throat> a better life. And there is absolutely no reason that anybody should be embarrassed by by having a hearing aid. I have to say, in some ways, this is going to sound really funny. When I went, I was. 
I was a little disappointed that I didn't have hearing loss, <laughs> and I know, and, and, and because I know I can tell the difference, in, especially in my left ear, but I'm, but I'm still apparently in the normal range, which, which is a good thing. Um, but it kind of reminds me of my eyes too. I was telling the doctor, and back when I was thirty, at night I was, you know, I didn't like driving in the dark with the lights coming at me. It was more difficult. And he's like, "Your eyes are fine." I'm like, "No, they're not." <laughs> you know. And now I'm to the point where I'm, I'm wearing cheaters and doing all those things, and I'm, I'm seeing that, oh yes, it can get worse. <laughs> But I'm just very, I'm very alert at those things. And the nice thing that I liked about going in was now you guys have a baseline on me, and so there's there's something to monitor, and that's that's a big plus, a big big plus um, that I think people don't always understand the benefits of. So yep, and the the service is free. So we encourage everybody to come in if they think they have any hearing loss uh, or they're just wondering what they have. They can come in and and get a a free hearing uh, screening, and uh, then they'll have a baseline, and they'll be able to tell year after year how they're changing, and that's important. That's that's huge. The good news I wanted to mention is that all all the depressing stuff we've been talking about in terms of hearing loss leading to problems uh, is reversible because if people start using hearing aids, there was a large study done on veterans, and it showed that people who got hearing aids and who got oral rehabilitation, which we really emphasize in our clinic, and as far as I know, we're the only clinic that emphasizes oral rehabilitation in the area, um, when uh, when you get both of those, then the socialization increases, depression scores uh, decrease, and uh, dementia scores decrease. And so uh, there really is hope. That it is possible to get that function back. And uh, the thing is, the earlier you treat, the better, because the brain is changing. And the brain will, will change in the direction that, you know, if you're not using, if you're not hearing the difference in sounds, it's going to lose that ability to hear the difference in those sounds. And if you are hearing them, then it's going to gain the ability to, to redistinguish them. So, uh, but it can only do so much. So once you've gone down the, the path so far, you're never, you know, you're never going to go back all the way to the beginning. So it's important to get treated early. I'd just like to emphasize that. Well, wonderful. Well, we need to wrap things up here. This has just been a fascinating conversation, and I would highly recommend, you know, if if you are, you know, wondering how is your hearing, you know, get a hold of Zounds Hearing Center, and you can uh, reach them. Uh, you can reach uh, Dr. Paletto, um at his website, which is Zounds, and that's Z, like zebra, O-U-N-D-S. And then Roseville, R-O-S-E, like the rose, and then Ville, I, uh, V-I-L-L-E at gmail.com. Uh, Zounds, Roseville at gmail.com. And um, is there a website that they can go to? Um, yes, the website, the website is uh, ZoundsTwinCities.com. Okay. ZoundsTwinCities.com, and a phone number would be 651-315-8634, again, that's 651-315-8632. 
on that. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It was um, truly a pleasure and very informative. So I really, really appreciate time with us today very much. Um, oh, it was Eddie, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Dr. Pletto. Thank you, Lori. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our next guest here, and um, I'm very excited um, to have with us today Dr. Richard Holub, who is the CEO and President of the Neurological Associates of Albany. He's the primary investigator for the Alzheimer's Studies and Tau X, uh, Rx Project, and is conducting global research uh, study investigating a medication that may slow or halt the progression of early stage Alzheimer's in patients. And I have to say, woohoo to that one. Um, and I'm sure our audience is thinking the same thing. I mean, we would we would love that to to be a factor. Dr. Holub has played a significant role in the investigation of um, all five drugs currently approved by the FDA for treatment of Alzheimer's disease and has conducted over 100 successful um, clinical trials. And I mean, that's that's just a massive, massive feat. So, Dr. Holub, I think I've got you live um, here with us. How are you today? Dr. Holub, are you with us? Okay, let me try another line here because I, sometimes I get the wrong phone numbers um, from people or they change up. So, Dr. Holub, are you on this line here? Dr. Holub? Well, let's see. We will just uh, keep trying here. He's got to be on the line. <clears throat> I don't know if he was on hold or not. I've got uh, one other caller here, so let me see here. Dr. Holub, are you with us? Hello? Okay, well, apparently he is not on the line with us yet, so I am going to continue to talk, and I'm going to shoot out an email while I'm doing that and see if we can uh, get Dr. Holub on the phone here. Um, I, I was really excited to have him, uh, you know, join us today because, uh, you know, uh, this is just such a critical, critical effort um, in terms of 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 research and there's tons of research projects out there we know but it's it's so important for people to be part of this process and i'm going to go ahead and pull harry in in the meantime here harry let's see harry are you there somebody just came on already said that they were muted that they were muted okay well I had him on. Okay, so let me try again. Uh, Dr. Holub, are you there? Hello? I've got, I, let's see, I've got two different lines here. Um, hello, Dr. Holub, are you there? Because uh, I don't think the muting's happening at my end because I'm, I'm getting you live, so I'm not quite sure what's going on, which is too bad. Um, 
But, um, well, I'm going to go ahead and um, I, I want to ask you, um, Carrie, what's your feeling about clinical trials? Any thoughts? I think I think clinical trials are very, very important. Uh, now, I think it's a very personal choice, though, that you have to make. Mm-hmm. Because in order to in order to make a valid clinical trial, you might have to you might have to give up a lot of things that you are doing now that may be helping you. In, in other words, um, if you if you're in a clinical trial for a new medication, uh, it's my understanding you may have to uh, give up the medication you're on. Now uh-huh. that 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 scares me tremendously because uh, I am doing so well that I don't know what would happen to me if I got into a clinical trial and maybe it's the first stage of the trial that, that I'm one of the ones that, that, that get a placebo. Um, mm-hmm. Is it beneficial to me? I don't know. That that just, that just scares me, but but I think clinical trials are so important to find an answer. Yeah, I I really believe so too that we need people to get involved in these trials. Um it is just so so important. Um because we you know they they need us to do their research and and though it's spooky and I think it's very important what you're talking about and I think especially with people in early stages Carrie, you bring up a great point about, you know, I'm stable right now, and as much as I want to help out with research, I, I don't want to screw up my life either, <laughs> my stability. And I, and I think that that's a very, a very valid point. Um, and I think that that's a concern of many, many people. And if there's other listeners um, on the line that would like to um, you know, like to talk, you know, please go ahead and do so. I'm going to go ahead and open up these couple of lines and if anybody is there feel free to go ahead and um and talk and we'll go from there. Uh, Dr. Holub, are you with us yet? Um can you hear me? I can Hello? hear you. I yep, I can uh, hear you. I'm very very you. good. Yes, I I am with you. Hello. Wonderful. Well, um, we've got, you know, Harry uh, was just helping me fill some air here, so I, I appreciate uh, you hanging in there with us. Um, and we were talking about clinical trials and the fear some people have of, you know, are they going to have to go off current medications or not? And I don't know if that's a question you can answer before we dive into specifics of, of what all you're well, I, up I to. I think that I can. Yeah, I, I think that I can. Um, there are various kinds of of clinical trials. Uh, For the major clinical trials in Alzheimer's disease, there is no necessity uh, to come off of current medications. So uh, if people uh, have been identified as having Alzheimer's disease and they are placed on medication uh, for the purposes of conferring stability, such as the cholinesterase inhibitors, um, which would include uh, Aricep, Galantamine, Exelon, a- as well as the NMDA receptor antagonist Namenda, then there are then they are able to stay on those medications. Uh, 
there are almost no exceptions to that in uh, Alzheimer's clinical research currently. Uh, there are other fields of research, uh, such as epilepsy, uh, where it may be necessary to come off one drug to test the effectiveness uh, of, of a new drug. Uh, but in uh, Alzheimer's research, almost always you're able to stay on your uh, medications uh, that have been uh, initiated and adjusted over time, to which they add a research medication such that the patient is, is never getting anything less than they would otherwise be getting, uh, but may be getting something more. Okay. Okay, well, that's that's good. And I know that each trial is, is different in terms of, you know, what the criteria is. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your investigation and the the study name and so forth and a, a little bit about okay. it? Okay. Um, uh, first, I'd just like to say a, um, a, a few words about who I am. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a clinical neurologist who has engaged in FDA-regulated Phase two and Phase three drug development research programs for almost 30 years. Um, every medication that has been FDA-approved, which includes four cholinesterase inhibitors, and the one NMDA receptor antagonist, uh, my research site has been involved with the phase two and or phase three pre-FDA approval research programs. The, uh, we, we have been uh, involved um, uh, very significantly in the uh, approval process for the medication, uh, which is actually a, uh, a scan uh, that was uh, developed uh, to identify amyloid in the brain, uh, a PET scan technique uh, that has been FDA approved uh, to help determine whether somebody through a scan has Alzheimer's disease or not, or is likely to develop Alzheimer's disease or not. Uh, while the scan has been FDA-approved uh, as long ago as August of uh, 2012, uh, it's not yet been insurance-approved, so it's not used very much uh, because it would be expensive. Uh, so, uh, so this is the kind of work that I do. I have a clinical practice and a research practice, uh, and uh, I'm currently engaged in uh, a, a global clinical trial uh, looking uh, to develop the, the next, hopefully, um, we only know if we try, generation of medications that might be used in the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. So uh, that's the, the prelude to what we're doing. I just wanted to let folks know a little bit about my background. Um, I'd be happy to have any potential questions guide my discussion. 
Okay. Okay, doke. Well, I will pull people in as they as they call in and I'll be monitoring the chat boxes as well. Um now you are also if I'm if I'm not mistaken going to be going to Russia in the next month for a clinical trial investigators meeting. Can you talk about the purpose of that trip and some of the benefits um that you you're hoping that that's going to yield for you? Um yes. Uh we um be likely because I've been engaged in clinical trials for um, some time in Alzheimer's disease. And, in fact, at my site, uh, we've done approximately 110 trials uh, over the years. Uh, They had asked me uh, if I would uh, troubleshoot the research protocol before it was initiated on uh, January 19th uh, at an investigator meeting in Chicago and and uh of 2013 a year ago and if i would uh at, at that meeting uh identify uh some areas to focus on uh, some things that the principal uh physician investigators uh should look at in 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 one way or another uh in order to execute the clinical trial uh uh with uh, a little more um heads up uh, on what they were facing. So we were happy to do that. Uh, uh, we did that again at a uh, at another meeting uh, in Florida. Uh, and the trial is a global trial, and uh, there had been plans to include a number of Russian investigative sites. Uh, however, the uh, Russian counterpart to the Food and Drug Administration uh, did not um, initially consider the program. More recently, they considered and and approved the program, and the Russian sites where the the clinical trial is to take place uh, have to uh, have an investigator meeting to, to review the nuts and bolts of the program and as those sites are about to be initiated, they've requested me to go to St. Petersburg uh, at the investigator meeting and to discuss uh, the nature and character of the clinical trial, uh, the things that they have to be mindful of, uh, some of the uh, areas where they have to focus a little more attention on, uh, and also offer them uh, some of the uh experience uh experiences that we went through it's always a learning curve uh and it's easier uh uh if you don't have to rediscover the wheel and you can take advantage of someone else's uh experience uh at that time we'll we'll have a, an opportunity to interact with uh our our phys- Medicaid, uh, medical and, and, and scientific counterparts uh, and have an exchange uh, of opinions and, and, uh, and ideas. Uh, and many times uh, out of those meetings, uh, you find yourself in the process of designing and developing the, the next step in, in, in research. Uh, so the meetings are energizing uh, and uh, academically uh, interesting. Wonderful. 
Well, that's all good news for us. So, so we're liking that you're that you're going to be involved in that, and um, and and uh, well, we would love to you know hear an update from you after that as well. Um, where things are where things are going. Let's get back to kind of the 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 study site name and location and kind of mission of what you're currently working on. Yeah. Um, well, we're we're currently uh, in, engaged, as I said, in the global clinical trial, uh, looking uh, toward correcting abnormalities related to one of the two protein abnormalities in Alzheimer's disease. Uh, one protein abnormality, which we had worked on for the past five years, uh, is amyloid. And again, we developed an amyloid scan. Uh, we uh, did a, a great deal of research uh, with anti-amyloid antibody drugs. Uh, amyloid is a protein in the brain which begins to accumulate after the age of 45 and works a bit against memory. Uh, over time, uh, it becomes more and more of an issue and is involved in the Alzheimer process. Uh, there's another equally important uh, protein uh, called tau, T-A-U, uh, sounds like a religion, um, uh, which uh, is uh, toxic as well. And we've recently clarified uh, that the first protein uh, to become abnormal in Alzheimer's disease through misfolding and misprocessing leading to it developing a, a toxic character uh, is the tau protein. So, uh, and this also accumulates over time. And uh, even though it is very gradual, fortunately, the misfolded toxic fragment of tau protein actually spreads from cell to cell by uh, what's called uh, a prion mechanism uh, in the same way that viruses might spread from cell to cell in the brain. The uh, tau protein fragment is transmitted from uh, cell to cell uh, in the brain gradually over months and, and years. And the uh, purpose uh, of our program uh, is uh, to use an oral medication which counteracts the accumulation of the tau protein and the spread of the tau protein and essentially inactivates it uh, and helps to stabilize the condition uh, and hopefully uh, lead to some improvements, uh, but at least to stabilize the uh, condition. In medicine, usually there's a balance between disease, which is progressing, and attempts at recovery uh, on the part of the body, which are trying to fix things. And when you achieve uh, stability, uh, usually those forces are imbalanced, 
uh, if you can retard uh, the disease process uh, to a great degree, then at times uh, the tendency for the body to try to recover uh, will, will actually uh, overtake and you might see improvements. Uh, we've not been there yet uh, with Alzheimer's disease, uh, uh, but we are hopeful uh, to get to a point uh, with this program or others in the future uh, where we would be at that point. We have two programs. Uh, one is for people with very mild um, uh, Alzheimer's disease, very mild disease. Uh, some of these folks might consider themselves just forgetful and not even having Alzheimer's disease. Uh, but when they are evaluated at our site uh, through various testing, uh, we can determine if the cause of their problem is related to Alzheimer pathology. Uh, and if they meet the entrance criteria, they would be eligible to enter the program. Uh, there's another group of folks who might have mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease, and they would be uh, in the second program uh, that we have available. Uh, the programs range from 15 to 18 months, and, and during that interval, uh, the patients uh, who enter the program, who are recruited at our site, uh, uh, will um, be on uh, one or more doses of the active research medication, although, or, or they might be on a placebo, uh, which has a, a tiny bit of the medication, not enough to be clinically effective, uh, and their cognitive testing scores, MR imaging, PET scan imaging, are followed and graphed and compared over the 15 to 18 month interval uh, in these um, programs which have been uh, reviewed and conferenced with the Food and Drug Administration and approved. And then at the end of that interval of time when the research study data is collected and the patient completes uh, their time in the program, they are then permitted uh, to enter into what is called an extension of treatment program where all uh, patients uh, are placed on active medication. These extension of treatment programs uh, are occasionally continued for months or years, uh, as in the case with uh, Aricept therapy and galantamine therapy and Exelon therapy and the MENDA therapy, where the extension of treatment programs are, have, have been continued until there's FDA approval and the patients can obtain the medication by prescription. So being involved in a double-blind placebo uh, trial initially when the study data is collected enables them to access the medication months or years before it might be prescription available. So there is an advantage in, in that way as well uh, to participating in these programs. 
Okay. How long does it take? Does it typically take to get a drug from A to B? You know, or from A to Z, I should say, from inception to to full approval. Oh, probably um, ten or twelve years. Uh, 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 from this point on, um, usually two to four years. Uh, I, mm-hmm. uh, usually two to four years. This particular medication has actually been in scientific research and development for about 30 years. So uh, that we are now at the, um, my best guess, this is my guess, this is not, um, I I don't actually know what the official timeline is, but I I would say we're two to four years uh, from it being commercially available. If it is, if it does become FDA approved, and uh, that uh, so we're at the very end of a very long interval of time, uh, a march of research and studies uh, that have led from one to the other to the other to the other, and we're now at the phase three level, which is the very last step before uh, the FDA decides uh, to approve the medication to make it prescription available. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's exciting in and of itself just to for us to be able to have another another option, you know, for for individuals. Would this drug be would you see it used alone or in combination kind of as some of the others are? Uh at this point in time, the mechanism of action of this medication uh is different uh, from the cholinesterase inhibitors, which uh, such as Aricep, Exelon, and Galantamine, uh, which are FDA approved and felt to be helpful, uh, for the, there is a, per, a percentage of people who are also on Namenda, which has as yet a different mechanism of action, uh, and it is quite likely that at least initially. Uh, people will be on uh, one of the cholinesterase inhibitors with or without Namenda in addition to this medication. Once there's an opportunity to evaluate it carefully in the presence of these other medications, if it is turns out to be very effective, there, there may be um, eventually a switch to just using this medication alone, were it to be FDA approved. Uh, This is one of the things that physicians will have to work through over time, but I suspect that initially, as is generally the case, that they'll be used in combination, Uh, and that's how we are using them in the research program. So uh, all the patients at my particular site uh, are on what I call a platform medication, which would be one of the cholinesterase inhibitors such as Aricep, uh, Galantamine, uh, or Exelon. And uh, some may also be on the Menda, some may not. Uh, but I consider the cholinesterase inhibitor medications like Aricep, Galantamine, and Exelon to be platform medications. And at this point, I prefer... Uh, my patients uh, with Alzheimer's disease 
who are tolerant of these medications, and, and most people handle these medications very well, I prefer my patients to be on one of these drugs in my clinical office and also in my research office to which we add the research medication. We are very anxious um, uh, and open and, and willing to have more volunteer participants, people who are interested in engaging in clinical research trials, uh, to come to our site in Albany, uh, New York. Uh, we do have some uh, uh, patients traveling uh, from as far as uh, Buffalo, New York, which is uh, four or five hours away, uh, Rochester, New York, which is uh, two or three hours away, uh, Utica, some people coming from Binghamton, which is about three hours away. Uh, so we have people traveling uh, from a distance to access uh, the programs available at our site, and uh, we, of course, uh, welcome such folks, and we go out of our way to uh, try to make uh, the experience uh, uh, workable uh, and fulfilling and and worthwhile. Well, that's great. How would people get in touch with you? Is there is there a best way? Um, should they go to your website, alzheimersalbany.com? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, that's uh, uh, an, an easy way. Um, uh, they uh, could even uh, call our office directly. Uh, the research office telephone number is area code 518-426-0575, uh, 518-426-0575, uh, or through the website, uh, and uh, one of our research coordinators or staff uh, would uh, be happy to go over the program with them, uh, uh, see if um, uh, it appears to be a good fit or, or, or a match, uh, and be happy to arrange or schedule uh, a preliminary uh, screening assessment. Um, we also have um, a Facebook uh, page, um, uh, which is found under uh, the uh, Neurologic Associates of Albany, um, and uh, which is accessible as 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 well. So okay. there are, there are multiple I ways. Probably the best okay. way is to give us a direct call. Okay. And there's I have a, a patient uh caregiver contact number two of five one uh five one eight six one eight one zero one seven. That's five one eight six one eight ten seventeen and that's for patients and caregivers. So I don't know if that's a little bit different um number where they can uh get maybe questions directly that's answered. An important number. That's an important number. Uh, 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 that is our recruitment team, and uh, they are almost always available. 
uh, and uh, and helpful, uh, and they can connect folks uh, to our website link uh, uh, to to us directly uh, to the Facebook page and uh, and fill in um, some very important information for anyone who calls and is looking for more information. So that's a very important number. Thank you. Okay, well, wonderful. Well, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show with us today. Um, you've given us lots of, of great information on your clinical trial, and I'm very excited about your your um, trip that you're going to be uh, going on that will um you know, be ex- expanding, you know, kind of the, the research as a whole um, next month in, uh, when you go to Russia. So that'll that'll be very interesting to see what you come back with after that after that trip and see if there's some new things in design mode and what kind of conversations move forward um, from that. All of this is is so exciting. I know our our audience is always thrilled to death to hear about you know the possibility of of something cutting edge out there and and it sounds like this house uh study is getting really close um to the end you know of the process um to see if they can make it through the FDA approval and again that's always an exciting exciting part um to hear about and and see it's it's wonderful for people to have more more options out there so dr Halleb, i i really appreciate your time with us today again people can go to the website which is alzheimer's albany dot com and albany is a l b a n y so alzheimer's albany dot com or you can uh, contact their patient caregiver uh, line at 518-618-1017. And any any last thoughts that you want to pass on to our to our audience before I let you go? Uh, no, uh, we we just want to thank you for actually having us on. And uh, to to be um, quite honest about it, uh, we're. Uh, a clinical and research office. We spend most of our life with our patients in the examination room and, and testing rooms, and uh, we, we don't get uh, on uh, websites uh, uh, very often uh, or uh, on teleconferences, and, uh, and uh, uh, we, we enjoy the opportunity to share what we do more widely. Uh, thank you. Well, I I thank you for all you're doing, and we look forward to learning more from you in the future. So you have a wonderful day now. Okay? Thank you. Bye now. Bye now. Well, what I would like to um, talk about next, I I, I find all this stuff so fascinating. I just love my job. I am so lucky to be able to do what I get to do. I don't know if any of you saw the article that was written by Kevin Wu on uh on our blog this uh this month uh just actually this last week but he wrote a really interesting article about the NFL fund uh for players who are diagnosed with dementia and then there was also you know the new um launch of information that that more money has been allocated by our government. And I'm going to go ahead and um, see if Harry is still with us and um, I'll see if Harry might have some some comments. How are you doing, Harry? You still there? 
I hope you're talking to me. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, I didn't know what if you had any thoughts regarding the um, the NFL uh, deal at all with you know them uh, putting up funds not only for the players but they also put a large amount away for for attorney's fees as well. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's wonderful, Roy, that that more people are getting involved in the funding. Uh, of course, I have. I have major concerns of how the money is going to be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my my con- my concerns are, I advocate for a better quality of life. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean to say that I don't want to see a cure, but mm-hmm. I know like in the NFL there's there's so many players that that are now um, getting some type of dementia due to the sport that they played. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's important that the research is done on that because um, what's to say that the high school kids, college kids, are not, are not having the same effect, even though they don't go into the professional level, maybe they don't play with the same intensity they do, but, but they still get the head injuries, they still get the physical contact and things like that. And as far as the government, um, uh, I think it's $122 million that yep. they allocated for, for office. I think it's wonderful, but you know what? I think it's a drop in the bucket. I think we need more. Now, I'm not being greedy, but I'm saying that if the government is is uh, is allocating $122 million, let's spend it wisely. Let's, yep. let's, let's, get, the, let's get the biggest bang for the bucks that we can get. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I am I am going to um switch gears here because I just uh saw that we are lucky to have um Steve Poneth with us and I know he's got some exciting news about a uh, a new group that has started. And so I want to give him an opportunity to share with us a little bit about that. So for those of you that don't know Steve, um Steve was diagnosed with with Alzheimer's disease as well and has become a major advocate. Um and so Steve Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Lori. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for calling in. I'm really excited to hear about this new group that was launched. Can you tell us about it? I can, but I first want to go back to what Harry was saying about the $122 million, if I may. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, um, it, like you said, it's a drop in the bucket. Um, cancer research is going to get its $6 billion. AIDS is still going to get its $2.4 billion. Heart disease is going to get its two point plus billion dollars allocated for their research, and yet we're sitting here at one hundred and twenty two million dollars and yeah. it is it is so frustrating to me that we as a nation you know i I've been complaining about Alzheimer's being a closet disease and people not not addressing the issue. We have an epidemic going on now by twenty fifty it's going to be a pandemic. We need to get the money in the right place in the right hands, and like Harry said, we've got to spend it wisely. I love what what your doctor just said. Um, His research is phenomenal. I'm behind him 100%, and let's put the money where it needs to be. 
Yep. I do want to clarify, though, it's 122 on top of what they already have, have given us. But bottom line, it still doesn't hit the, a billion dollars. I think it's like between six, seven hundred million in in total. So, yes. you know, it makes me chuckle when I think here is one organization that has put more away for their their players, their employees, that that our whole country is putting at this thing. And that alone should say, hey, businesses, we need to step up to the plate. We need to be responsible. And, again, we want to do some prevention things um, because our kids are going to have these issues. I've got a girlfriend whose daughter has had three major concussions. I mean, bed rest, the whole nine nine yards, and she is – She's just a senior in high school, and it scares me to death what that's yep. going to mean for her later in life. Um, and we don't know that. And Barbara Brock's new clock test, you know, the reality clock test, would be a great tool for sports to be able to use and doctors and clinics and schools, everything to use because it tests all parts of the brain before they put them back out on the field. Because just because someone is responding properly to your question doesn't mean the whole brain as a whole is functioning properly and this test would prevent that from putting them back back into harm's way and assessing them a little bit better so i i thank you for your opinion i think it's really important we need to get to our government officials we need to be having these conversations we need to be talking about this at work Um, we've got to remove the fear and we've got to start connecting the dots and working together in fact i'm going to give you um Let's see. I think I had. I thought I had. Uh, oh, maybe I don't. I'll have to look it up here. Um, oh, here it is for Twitter. If any of you are Twitter listeners, you know, go ahead and tweet the commissioner. I'm going to go ahead and put that um, in the chat box here. And what it is is uh, it's a very very simple thing to do if you're a Twitter person. And for those who are listening to this after the fact, it's just the at sign and then NFL Commish um, at sign NFL Commish, and that goes directly to Roger Gordo 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 I think it is um, who is the uh, the NFL commissioner. And maybe we can get some of his attention. I would love to have him on the show and hear more of what they're doing as well. So, Steve, tell us about this new group. Let's let's switch gears and make sure that we get this in. Well, I, I, along with a group of my peers, we have launched Dementia Alliance International. And what it is, it's a group of like-minded individuals wanting to break down the barriers between patient and the public as a whole and to promote self-advocacy. Um, Harry hit on a very important issue and what is very important to us is the quality of life that we have um, while living with the disease. And I emphasize that we're living with the disease. Mm-hmm. You've heard me say time and time again, Lori, that I am not dementia. I am Steve, father, son, brother, and friend. I live and breathe, and I live my life to the fullest. The disease pre- prevents me from doing certain things, but I'm not succumbing to it. I'm not dying of it. I'm living with it, and we we want to promote that. We, we it's just it's just a wonderful thing that we've decided that we want to we want to make a difference in the world. Um, and if 
if I may, I've got I've got to read my notes because I can't just freshly say them off the top of my head. Stuff, you go, you but, go um, ahead. We want a world in which all conferences, training, and meetings concerning issues related to us involve us in the planning, delivery, and evaluation of the events. We want a world in which we are equal partners with others in our own care and treatment, a world in which persons living with dementia can live free from the stigmas associated with dementia, and a world that recognizes and provides the meeting of our basic human rights and our ongoing human needs. And those those are so important to us. Well, and they should be. They should be important to everybody. Um, you know, this is just... A, this is just such a basic thing, and it blows me away that um, these things haven't been incorporated already. You know, um, well, well, that what frustrates me, Laura, is, or Lori, is they um they have a G8 summit in in the UK last month, and how many patients were involved in in, in that? Five, maybe, maybe five. Mm-hmm. Out of all those big weeks that were there, there were maybe five patients involved in that. I, I can't fathom how anybody – it's it's time for us to be making the decisions. Yes, I have dementia. I have early-onset Alzheimer's disease. But while I can think for myself, I should be able to plan for myself, and we as a group, Harry and everyone else that has the disease, should be involved in the decision-making process that affects us. Well, and it would be wonderful to see uh, people with dementia be on um, subcommittees within that group, you know, and um, or maybe even be their own subcommittee to boot in terms of what are the concerns to make sure that they're getting fed to those leaders because um, there is so much out there that is not known or understood um, by a lot of our leaders. Everything has is. Um, I shouldn't say everything, but a lot is this academic medical model that is not socially practical for people to live their lives. And like you said, I am Steve, I'm a father, I'm a son, you know, I'm a cousin, I'm a friend, I'm, I, I, I am that first and I have dementia second. Um, exactly. and, I, and I think some of these organizations and and they don't even know they're doing it but they you know they're striving so hard you know to to find the cure and and to provide better services that they i think sometimes don't link the compassion which is the key to making us feel purposeful to making us feel connected which is such a huge factor in terms of how are you doing on a day-to-day basis when you're living with this disease and and those two have to marry. They've got to merge. Um, they they one cannot do without the other. And, exactly. and and so I think it's a it's beautiful that your group is coming together, um, you know, and 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 pull, trying to pull this off. Now I know that you're also looking for donations um, for for the group. Can you explain how those would be used and? Well, what we're trying to do right now, our, our, our first goal as, as an organization is to get to the, the um, Alzheimer's Disease International Conference in Puerto Rico in May. That is our first mm-hmm. uh, point of agenda that we want to get done. From there, we want to, we want to definitely grow our, our organization. And we, like we, we've only been active for a month, so we're really in the grassroots, very beginning stages of all this. 
Um, I've posted our website on, on uh, I just typed it into the box, chat box there, Lori, and I put it on there. But we um we are going to have, we want to have a, a we're going to, right now we are working towards our 501c3, but right now everything got, has to go through CrowdRise for our donations because it's going to go directly to, to um Alzheimer's Disease International because they are a 501c3 company and that way that can be tax deducted. And but that's what we're trying to do first. And then we, like I said, we want to grow this. We we want to we're going to have the board members and then we are also going to have a group of um, advisors which are going to be non-patients. But the 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 board of directors which will be patients, we are going to run this organization. Mm -hmm. the, the 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 advisors are just going to help kind of guide us through what we need to do, but we will be running the, running what what's done, what's not done, and where we advocate and what, what steps we take. But, you know, like I said, it's in the grassroots. We're just getting started, but we've got, we've got a lot of things we want to do. Yep. Well, and that, that is wonderful. I'm going to um, just pull Harry back in here and see if Harry has any questions or comments regarding this group. Uh, yeah, you, you have to you have to listen to what 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 Steve and and me and and a lot of other people with this disease are saying, and we all want to cure, but we also want to be able to live with our disease. That's why um, I am I am such a big advocate and interested in in DBS, which is which is deep brain stimulation. Uh, clinical trials, and and what that is basically is it, it, it's a pacemaker that gets hooked up to your brain and and does magic things just like it does with your heart. Now, what what they can do is they can control the symptoms of of Parkinson's disease. Uh, now, wouldn't it be wonderful if they could if they could control hallucinations of Lewy bodies? And if they could, yeah. if they could learn how to control the things that that we have, now not cures, but control it, the quality the quality of our life would improve so much. That's why I want I want to see some of this money. Now, I'd love to have a magic pill, but I would also love to see money spent on improving the quality of our life. I I agree. I agree very very much. Um and I think sometimes that's overlooked, which again amazes me. Um that that quality of life could be overlooked in the process, but sometimes I I know it feels that way. I don't know if it's true. Um but I know for me it sure feels like that. Um and and it saddens me that um that I have that perception, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, with it. I do want to note in the chat box, Steve did put down the the dementia, the dementia alliance. Um, what's it called? Dementia alliance. International. International. Okay. Okay. Dog. I was looking at it wrong, and I was thinking it had the word center in the middle. So, dementia alliance international um, dot organization. Um, so that is that is wonderful. And are are you able to accept donations at this point, or do you need to wait until you get your your? Well, um, I can I can put the 
I can put the site in for that too. We've got a site uh-huh. where we we um we um where you can go in and you can donate for us, to to us. Uh huh. Okay. okay. And, um, yeah, that would be I'm to that would read be. it and type type at the same time. <laughs> Not easy. I know. That's I do that all the time with the show, and I, I lose where I am sometimes <laughs> you know, with different things, and it's hard to keep track of it all. So, well, wonderful. Well, I really appreciate, um, you know, Harry, you being with us, you know, for the whole show and your input, and Steve for taking the time to call in and and, and talk to us about this new organization. I, I'm just so excited about all. There's so much new and fresh things um, coming out. And and I just uh, I, I'm just thrilled to be able to be part of it. I I was hoping to go to IDA um, uh, International Conference, um, but I've got a conflict with another speaking engagement. So because uh, I, I have not been to one, and I really wanted to go to the the ADI um, conference. And um, but maybe next year I'll be able to be able to make it. So I hope some of you are able to to attend. I think that that would be a wonderful, wonderful step. It would be nice if, if some of the large pharmaceuticals would step up and, and help with some funding of this. Um, the money yeah. is definitely there, um, and I think your insights are so, so powerful yeah. and, and helpful. So so thank you. Thank you both for being part of the show. I'm going to go ahead and and wrap things up here. Um, and I want to just once again kind of give a, a shout out to um, some of my favorite organizations and uh, ones that, that I think get overlooked a lot. And again, the first one is Alzheimer's Disease International, um, which is the association of all the associations out there, of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So it's a great way to be able to to find one closest to you. And the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Fund, again, they take a holistic approach. They're doing some really cool stuff. They've been around for 20 years, and they are one of the best-kept secrets that I want to help kind of crack that egg and, and get people more familiar with them. And then, you know, like we were talking today, there's different types of, of Alzheimer's disease. And so the Alzheimer's Studies Group, you can find them on, on Facebook um, as the Alzheimer's Team, or you can just Google the Alzheimer's Studies and get to them as well. But you've got like the Lewy Body Association, the Frontal Temporal Lobe Association. Um, there's the Parkinson's, the um, National um, Aphasia Association. All these organizations people need to know about. They need to know how to how to get to them. And then for um, some social stuff, um, Music First with Coral Health, uh, Puzzle With Me, and Jiminy Wicket, if you're looking at trying to do some intergenerational um, gaming of playing croquet. And this can be set up between schools and, you know, uh, memory loss um, communities. Uh, it's a really very, very, very neat, neat thing to be able to do. Um, I would also encourage people, if you haven't, you know, gone to our website, alzheimerspeaks.com, I would encourage you to go there. And, um, you know, up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a bunch of little, like, social media tabs. And that'll take you to our 
our YouTube channel and our homepage um, on Facebook and the blog, the radio show. But if you wouldn't mind going up there and just liking all of those buttons, we would really appreciate it because you never know when somebody in your circle is going to need this information. Um, it's just a critical, a critical piece that we can all share and work together. Also, um, if you go to our website, there is also a contact us button. Contact me if you think you might be um, a good next guest on the show. I'm always looking for 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 guests um, on the show, and I would love to be able to talk with you and to learn more about what it is you're doing because that's what Alzheimer's Speaks is about. It's about raising everyone's voice. I do want to just... Um, remind you that the the last radio show was an open mic where people called in and I think I'm going to do that at, at, you know more often people seem to be liking that being able to call in and talk about what they're doing uh next week we're going to talk about dementia around the world we're going to have the executive director of Alzheimer's Disease International with us Mark Wartman and he's going to be talking about a, a lot of really cool things going on we're also going to have author Trin Rose Seeley back with us. She's the author of 15 Minutes of Fame, Empowering Caregivers of Those with Alzheimer's, and, and she'll tell us what she's up to. Um, if you did not catch the last Dementia Chats on January 14th, those are the free webinars I do twice a month where I interview people with dementia. And we, have a, we have a conversation, and our, our audience gets to participate in that as well. Um, for that one, we discussed... Um, terminology you know what what do we use and and why do we use the words dementia or alzheimer's or lewy body and when is it appropriate to use what term and why and then we went into a much much deeper conversation than you would think with that our next uh, dementia chat is tuesday the 28th that's at 3 p.m uh, eastern time 2 central and noon pacific time um, on the blog, I just want to highlight a couple of articles. On the 19th, our intern Michelle wrote one called Speak to the Heart. Um, I did a last post for Verizon because I was on their uh, Verizon Boomer Voices, um, just thanking them for raising some knowledge regarding technology that can be helpful for those dealing with dementia. We talked about the blog article um, for the NFL, which was entitled "When Six uh, Seven Hundred and Sixty Five Million Isn't Enough," and that was on the 16th. And again, I'd love you to get a hold of the commissioner and tell him that we need to talk. I would love to do some educating with them. And then um, there's really a cool story that was written on the 16th about a friend of mine, Jane Claremont, um, who owns English Rose Suites, um, has hooked up with. Uh, a friend in her hometown who uh, the family has been touched by Alzheimer's and they are actually um, coordinating and paying for Jane to go around North Dakota and speak um, because they just think that there's not enough education. It's a wonderful way for a family to make a difference. And so if you're in North Dakota, I'm still waiting for dates and times and places, but it's coming up in February. She's going to be talking, uh, the title is Understanding the Language of Dementia and Discovering the Joy. And I'm also waiting for an update to hear what our 
our chefs on motorbikes are doing. Um, Alzheimer's Disease uh, International had sent that to me, and they are, you know, kind of biking around uh, the world or portions of the world, which is really cool to raise money and cook for for Alzheimer's disease. So until next time, again, I so appreciate all of you listening. And again, please share please share these episodes with people. Um, that is the way we're going to make a difference is sharing the knowledge. So have a blessed week. Stay warm if you're in cold spots like I am in Minnesota. And take care. Bye now. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.